0: Welcome to the second episode of Getting Better Acquainted replayed. Today's episode is a reposted episode, one of the earliest recordings of Getting Better Acquainted. It was the second episode. I think I probably recorded about four or five maybe episodes before I recorded this one. And this was the second episode to air. Earlier this year, I discovered that the first 76 or so episodes of Getting Better Acquainted because of the way that SoundCloud organises its site don't exist anymore as part of the RSS feed. This means that you can still hear all of Getting Better Acquainted over on the SoundCloud page, but you can't hear it all from the beginning on iTunes and Stitcher and other podcasting distribution apps. The fact that this is such an early episode means that it's a very early version of me. It's one of the earliest versions of me that you can find on Getting Better Acquainted. And it's been six years since the me that you are hear in today's conversation had this conversation. And I've certainly changed in loads of ways. I've changed my opinions. I've changed my accent. When this was recorded I was working in libraries in London so every day I was surrounded by people talking in particular accents and something that seems to be the case about me is that I'm quite changeable that when I am exposed to accents I pick up some of the qualities of those accents. I've listened to quite a lot of the old episodes and oh it's very difficult for me to listen to them. I had started out on this journey and I didn't know many things I didn't know how to edit as well as I do now and so it's painful to hear all of the bad edits although I'm sure there are bad edits in every episode of Getting Better Acquainted because part of the way that I edit this show is you know on a deadline and so I can't be as perfect as I might like. Since this episode I've changed my opinions about feminism, about LGBT issues, so many things. But I still think this conversation is worth listening to if you take into account the fact that both me and my guest are six years older and would have changed our opinions. I have cut some stuff from this episode. You can hear it. It's still available to you. If you go to the SoundCloud page and listen to episode two, you can hear it without any edits. The reason I've cut the stuff I've cut is because my opinions have changed so much about it that I feel like it's misinformation that I'm putting out online and that there is already so much misinformation out there and also since much of what I've left in I still don't agree with it's not like I'm kind of airbrushing history lots of things have changed since this episode was recorded for example Elle is now a mother she's now married And one of the things that's interesting about this conversation is that Elspeth told me that having this conversation had an effect on her in that it inspired her partly to re-engage with Christianity and go back to church more often. And also, I think, although I don't 100% know, I think it was one of the factors that helped to influence her to get to the point where she chose to get married. Certainly, the Elspeth now does not live in sin And I hope that when you heard me say that phrase, you were imagining some inverted commas around the word sin. One of the motivating factors for putting out this episode, as well as the fact that I currently don't have any current recordings to play for you, is that Elspeth's friend Ruby is in a complicated situation and Elspeth wants to try and reach out to as many people as possible to see if they can help. Ruby desperately needs to be matched with a bone marrow donor, with Salvadorian or Latin American heritage, which is something that the doctors have told her is not going to be easy and her time is running out. So she's looking for people from those backgrounds to donate bone marrow, but it's also part of a wider campaign to get people in general to donate their bone marrow, particularly if you are from a group where there isn't very much Potential bone marrow out there. So, because of that, at the start of this episode, I'm playing an extra special plug. It's audio that's been taken from a video created by the campaign Register for Ruby. And when you hear it playing, you should know that the pictures you'd see if you were watching this video is Ruby's children and family being children and being a family and the voice that you can hear is Ruby's partner
1: being a mother as a concept it's a powerful human and kind of consistent expression across cultures across the world of this just powerful bond between a mother and their child I suppose I'd always seen how nurturing and how talented Ruby is in terms of communicating with children and playing. The cuddling and the kissing is a strong part of it and what I wish for Sophia is is to have this relationship with this amazing woman who's her mother. One of the things that Ruby would do, particularly with Daniel, was plant some bulbs and see them flower so Ruby would call them the little babies. What I've been able to do with Daniel is... Let's water mama's little babies, and it's a way that we can stay connected. The physical symptoms just came on very quickly, and that's what we've learnt about the, the type of blood cancer, the leukemia, lymphoma that, that Ruby has. This cancer kills quickly, and the doctors are telling us that we need a transplant. We're talking about a matter of, of weeks and months. I mean, one of my worries is that Sophia isn't going to, to remember Ruby if we don't find a donor and, and we're not successful. With Daniel, what I'm seeing in, in the kind of the hunched shoulders and, and the eyes to the floor is what he's communicating is Mum, I love you, I miss you, and I don't understand why you're not coming home. But I suppose the other things I'm saying to Ruby is I'm actually just missing you with sharing, cleaning the kitchen. I'm doing the washing up, you're doing the drying. And it's, it's that mundane thing that I'm, I'm sharing the, the daily stuff of life with the person that I love. I think Ruby had some of it, an anxiety around whether the children would recognize her. I had a, a FaceTime with Ruby a couple of nights ago and um, Sophia had woken up during that. And Ruby wanted to sing the lullaby. So I I had this moment where I was kind of sitting there just, just in tears and Ruby singing on the phone and um, Sophia's just loving kind of just hearing her, her mum's voice. Ruby, while she was here, even though she was in a lot of pain, would still be very hands-on with the children. And even when she, she's been in hospital... Apart from times when she's had some of the infections that come with the, the chemotherapy, they're the times when Ruby hasn't been able to hold the children. Taking a toddler and, and a baby in there who aren't going to know why mum isn't cuddling me or isn't touching me, it would be too distressing for Ruby and the children to see each other and not touch. What Ruby tells me is is that she can really bear anything um, apart from the, the, the separation. We're all dying at some point, but um, I suppose just for the context that we're in with Ruby, it's on fast forward and we just want to slow that down and that, that worry about the future and is she going to be around for the rest of their childhood. There is hope. I think hope is what we've got really. So. You know, you've got no hope or some hope you're going to take some hope.
0: There is currently no match for Ruby on the bone marrow register. So you could save her life. But time is running out. Register as a donor now and spread the word. The website for the campaign is registerforruby.com. So now let's travel back in time to the second episode of Getting Better Acquainted. This conversation involves a kind of story and description of a, a sudden death.
2: You get a lot of people who are drawn to the dramatic, who are drawn to the extremes of any sort of belief or politics or whatever, and they make it very hard for everyone else who believes that way for slightly calmer reasons.
0: Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting uh, better acquainted with Elspeth. Hello, Elspeth.
2: Hello, Dave. <laughs> you may be at risk from kitten attack. There at is, some yeah, point. that's right.
0: There is a cat in the room. Uh, Elsworth's cat is in the room, so if the if the microphone gets attacked, that's what's happened. Um, so I'm just I, I'm asking a couple of um, stock stock questions, same questions okay. every time, just to start with. So the first one is, how did I meet you? How did you meet me? What was your memory of that?
2: I can't remember the exact instance, but you were in the group of people known to me as Zoe's theatre friends. Um, <laughs> I was very good friends, and still am very good friends with Zoe. Who I think you're also yes. I did her with. interview last night. Yeah. She was a theatre study student. That she was. As were you. So that's how I met you. And I know that she was definitely selling you to us. In that she was like, "You guys all really like my friend Dave from oh theatre studies. Um, he he likes to talk about stuff." <laughs> and at the time, everyone was a bit well. Okay, <laughs> stuff we like talking about. But I must say, um, there was a period where I was quite intimidated by Zoe's theatre friends. Ah, I see. Um, so I, I probably avoided you for the, <laughs> the first few months of our acquaintance.
0: Yeah, I didn't really fit very well into necessarily into theatre studies, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess you didn't necessarily know that.
2: I think um, I wasn't very self-confident at the time and my impression of that group was a group of very confident, assertive, dramatic people. That
0: was my impression of them as well, yeah.
2: <laughs> and um, and some of them I've met since and have been absolutely lovely people and it's all fine. But um, yes, for a time I avoided that.
0: Well, Theatre Studies is a... As a, as a subject is one I think a lot of people try to avoid. Mm. Um, people from, um, which is not to say anything necessarily bad about theatre studies. And the other question is, what do you do now? That's the question. What in do I do now? As you, as you wish.
2: Um, well, I'm a social worker who works with adults in London. So that's a big part of my day accounted for.
0: The cat is actually, literally as we speak, eyeing me up in terms of going to pounce maybe at some point
2: there is a wire dangling from the ah, headphones yeah and, that's and the that's headphones that I can
0: hear the monitoring of this interview good okay well you were studying philosophy when you were at yes. university um and i was i i've never studied philosophy i've got a, mm. Mm, amateur awareness of some elements of philosophy but i mean having studied philosophy do you think that was a valuable subject to study
2: i think it was definitely valuable on a personal level i think philosophy is valuable to everyone because it's about thinking about things and challenging assumptions um and i think that's valuable for everyone in terms of a qualification that led me into the workplace (laughs) not as much um I went and retrained as a social worker after two years of working in supermarkets and general social care related things. So in those terms, my degree did little for me, but in terms of it being valuable to how I approach problems, how I look at things, I think it's been really valuable.
0: Do you think it's valuable, I guess, to society as well? I mean...
2: Yes, I think that um, I grew up in a religious family and I am still at least nominally a Christian myself, although I don't walk the walk as often as I should. Okay. Um, But one of the things that I always respected and really appealed to me about my parents' brand of religion was they always answered questions and they were always willing to do so and had very little time for anyone who had a belief and a faith and would just say, nope, that's what I think. There is no alternative to that Um, because what they always said was, well, if you can't justify your belief, even if your justification is it just feels right, if you can't justify it, if you're not willing to argue about it, then how can you say it has any any value you, everything you do you have to be able to think of well why am i doing this and i think philosophy's good for that
0: do you think you took from that a kind of um do you think that philosophy has taught you to be a devil's advocate or do you think that you have felt that there are certain you felt more certain in what you believe and what you don't believe in a kind of clear straightforward line i mean
2: I think that philosophy definitely teaches you to be a devil's advocate. I think that I, over the years... I think you said it to me yourself once. I, over the years, have become a little more absolute as I've been exposed to real life a little bit more. I probably don't know very much philosophy anymore. In fact, I was looking over our bookcase, which we had to tidy up before you came, and most of the philosophy books on there are Luke's. Right. Um, in terms of quotations and things, I probably don't remember that much. It's been pushed out by, you know, weird sci-fi trivia and... Life. Yeah, life. You know,
0: I couldn't, I couldn't tell you very much about, um, quite a few of the things that I studied at university, I think. I've got on my list of things to talk to you about, I've got feminism on there. Mm-hmm. And I've got that because yesterday when Zoe came round, I was talking about what the sorts of things I was thinking of talking to you about, knowing, uh... She, I was coming here today, and she said um, she talked to her about philosophy and feminism. So I put those okay. down. Why do you think Zoe gave me that question, that kind of topic?
2: I think um, feminism is something certainly Zoe and I have talked a lot about. It's very interesting. I find as I get older. When I was a, when I was a little girl, the first time I realised feminism was even a thing was there was a science club at primary school and it was in fact an excuse for the headmaster to play with toy rockets. <laughs> and my, I really wanted to be in the rocket club but mum asked me why I wasn't and I said, well, it's because it's all the boys. And what I meant was the people who played football at a certain time, it was that gang of people who all happened to be boys who were there. What my mum heard was My nine year old thinks she can't be in the science club because it's for boys. So my mum went into that school and she taught. We had a week of assemblies about women in science. There was a huge recruitment drive, and about six girls were (laughs) recruited into the science club. But it was really the first time it had ever even occurred to me that someone might one day say I couldn't do something because I was a girl. Um, it was a bit scary to be honest to realise that was something that evidently my mum was quite scared of I used to think of it as being something that um, was important but important in a historical sense
0: yeah a lot of women say that when they're younger I think
2: but now as I am older and it becomes more and more relevant looking at the way that um, I'm sometimes treated because I'm a woman. I don't encounter much blatant sexism, but it's there sometimes, in, particularly with older gentlemen.
0: So, okay, so let's move and sort of go to a very different sort of time in your life, I guess. Um, when you were working, I think, were you working in the, super, the supermarket? I when was this working, at You're working at spa. You were working at spa. Yeah. Uh, in, in Lancaster
2: Yeah, in a place called Barham it was 5 minutes from where I lived and I was also working at Sainsbury's which was a very different experience because the local spa was very much although it's a chain but it was very much your local corner shop sort of atmosphere and uh, there was a lady who used to come in every day and she would talk to us um, she was an older lady called Doris she would talk to us about how she'd lived in the area for the last 60 years and she'd seen the shop in all its different different incarnations yeah. and she'd ask us how old we were and I think she was 72 because at the time I think I was 22 Right. and she remarked on the difference 50 years makes and she would talk about her son and everything and we would order a taxi for her um, when she came in to help her her go back oh, wow and um so you felt like you had a relationship with her and several other customers, which was really nice because in Sainsbury's it's just a lot of people yelling at you to put boxes on shelves um, but one day I was working on the checkout and um my manager was coming from out back and because of the setup of the store the bread aisle was between us and so i i couldn't see but she came running around the corner and went oh my god and doris had in fact collapsed she'd very carefully it seemed put her basket on the freezers and then just fallen on the floor so I ran to Doris and um, Heather, my manager, ran to the phone and called an ambulance and i it's ridiculous. After 10 years of girl guiding where I'd been shown the recovery position I don't know how many times, I completely didn't know what to do. I had no no clue. I was shouting her name. I removed half of her dentures because it was sticking out of her mouth and didn't go fishing around for the other half it's it's one of those situations where you look back on it and go you knew what you were supposed to be doing why didn't you do any of it um but i held her hand she was breathing but she let out some um quite hard breaths and then then she seemed to stop and she died The ambulance was called. I I got up. um, (laughs) There was a ridiculous... In the period of time before the ambulance got there, I was holding her hand and a customer came out because, of course, we hadn't locked the doors. Mm. This has all happened quite quickly. And the customer was another older lady who leaned down, took her pulse and went, She's gone, love picked up a loaf of bread and went to the till. And I got up, sold her the bread, (laughs) and then went back to... And afterwards, I was thinking, why on earth? Why on earth did she pick up... And why did I then get up and sell it to her? But you are on automatic pilot and bread was, to be fair, something I knew how to do.
0: Yeah, was, I guess it's shock, <laughs> isn't it, a bit? Possibly.
2: Yeah, I, I knew how to sell the bread, whereas helping Doris was obviously beyond me. Um, the ambulance guys got there and they um, used one of those um, portable defibrillator things, but it, it was too late. Um, and I almost wished they hadn't used the defibrillator because she'd always been a very smart-looking woman. It's not a smart process um, but um, I stood at the door trying to dissuade customers from coming in um, and most of them didn't listen to me It's Lancaster, a lot of um, gruff, northern pensioners, and I, I told one of them, there's been an accident, you can't come in, and he said, but I need eggs and pushed right past me wow. and then he came back and was like, I thought you meant someone had spilt something I was like, no but um, yeah and then um, Doris was taken away um, the police were called um, we found her handbag and were able to tell them her address I mopped up the floor because um, when someone dies yeah. there's some mess I <laughs> took the contents of her basket and put it back on the shelves and that was it and then i Served people for about 20 minutes before the manager came up to me and went, you look like you're about to keel over. Go but, home.
0: Was that the actual words she said? It seems a bit ironic. And...
2: <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I mean, they'd been pumping me... In those sorts of situations, um, the youngest person there tends to get looked after. Yeah and I was the youngest person there, they had, while the police had been coming, they had sat me down, and about three different people had made me sweet cups of tea. Wow. And I must have been in some sort of shock, because I hate sweet cups of tea, and I drank them all. Right. (laughs) But it... It was a very... bizarre situation. And the the way that... um, I responded, and you become very aware of the fragility of life. Um, and people afterwards kept going, well, I thought we did well. Yeah. I thought that went well. I was looking at them going,
0: oh, what? What, the people in the work? in the wor- at, at the
2: shop, That everyone was going, I think that went well. I think we did really well in that situation. And I was just looking at them going at the end of the day in a customer service business if a customer dies we haven't done well <laughs> there was a death this was not a situation anyone came out of a winner
0: yeah but I mean you dealt with the situation I guess is what they're saying yeah. I mean I've worked in customer services for a yeah a big chunk of my work in life probably about six years yeah it becomes it becomes kind of blurred when I crossed over from working in libraries to working mm-hmm. with children but, I, uh, yeah, no-one's ever died in any of the shops, that, or libraries, rather, that I've worked yeah. in.
2: I just I just felt it was a weird situation. Um, and I know they were probably in part trying to reassure me, but I just mm. thought it was a weird situation for us to be talking about how well we'd performed. Um, and other people kept coming in and going, because it... It was a relatively small community, so other people would come in and say how um, at least Doris had died somewhere she'd liked. And I just kept thinking, how sad. For the local spa. I mean, we'd had some nice chats,
1: but,
0: but maybe how, she how liked... sad
2: for that to be the place that we think she'd have wanted to die. I mean...
0: But in a way, maybe that says more about that person saying that than actually about Doris, because yeah. maybe Doris wouldn't have chosen the spa as a place for her to die yeah. if she'd have been able to sit down and go, where would I like to die? Yeah. The spa wouldn't necessarily have been her choice.
2: It is... Um, people just say some very bizarre things. They do. And,
0: uh... And it must have been hard for you guys because she was a regular. I mean, I've, I've known regulars die... Um, but they've died not in the not in the place where we were. And it's been sad enough to know that someone who regularly came in and did the same thing every week, and it becomes your whole life in a way when you work in a customer service environment. Yeah. It becomes, you know, it, these things matter more to you than they probably would in other contexts.
2: Yeah, and it, it was very bizarre in that um, the next shift I had, I was just looking at all the customers as if, at any moment, any one of you could just stop. Yeah. Um, just one of those moments where you're much more acutely aware of your own mortality. That was peculiar. And she was um, the first person I'd seen. I mean, I'd, I'd seen um, my grandmother at The Undertaker's. But that's pretty made up death. It's, she looked very peaceful. She had makeup on. It, her hands were crossed across her chest. Um, death. And um, Doris was obviously gasping for breath, urine on the floor. Yeah. Um, Physical. Yeah. And feeling that there's a moment, there's life and then there's not. They're really. It did feel like there was a moment when... It might not have been the moment of actual death, but there was a moment when she stopped trying to breathe. Um. And you... It makes death real in a way that... I certainly wasn't aware of before. And it was... Very bizarre. And... um, really stayed with me it's something I think about every now and again um, I can imagine yeah um and I really I I mean I have um friends who have worked in palliative care who of course have seen that happen on an almost daily basis yeah um I don't think I'd be strong enough to do that that um I think I would be worried about it becoming commonplace Don't get me wrong, I have huge respect for people who can.
0: No, I mean, my mum must have done. She was a nurse.
2: Mm.
0: And I know she saw people as they went um, at times. And I I can't really comprehend it.
1: Mm. Um,
0: As a Christian, what did you think about that moment of passing?
2: I think, as a Christian, I do believe in a better place. Although I have very little... Idea of what such a place would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I believe in a worse place. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's the
0: kind of Christians I like.
2: I'll, um There's always the argument you carry your heaven and hell with you. But the. Um, so I. I don't think I. I like to think that she was then suddenly watching over me, because. Actually, I, I like to think that my dead relatives are more at peace than worrying about my mistakes. Mm. Um, but... I think that it is a comfort around death to feel that there's something after. And I think seeing that, because I did... Feel there was a moment where Doris wasn't there anymore, hmm. and that reinforced my belief in something more than physical, if, in a soul, as it were. If
0: someone is sent empty, they must be empty of something.
2: Yes. So that. Um, so yes, in a, in a way, it makes it easier. Though I don't really have a comparison no. um, I know that when Luke and I um, discuss because Luke doesn't believe necessarily in a in an afterlife when we discuss things like I don't know how this came up, but when we discuss if we were in a terrible accident or something yeah um, Luke doesn't want pinkers because um, he wants to remain every moment of life he wants to be lucid. Wow. And get as much of it as possible. I I think he's going to have to write that down because I don't think I'd um, be strong enough to be saying to a doctor, don't give him painkillers. And he might, in the actual situation, not want it.
0: Well, but... I mean, isn't there a sort of technical area as well in that there is some moments where if you don't have painkillers, the pain will make you um, unconscious. So it, sometimes it's the only way you can... Get more life out.
2: Perhaps. I mean, I, I'm definitely of the opinion that I. if if there's a way that I can just quietly drift away, yeah. I'd be happy with that. And he always says, but you think you're going somewhere. Whereas I think this is the life I get. I'm going to make it last as long as possible. Mm. And so I suppose that um sort of speaks to a very different view of death. And I certainly um, feel like the people that I've lost who've been close to me are still around in a very non-specific sort of sense.
0: They're not not watching you, though. I I hope not. Um,
2: I kind of feel that, for a start, I'd probably be desperately disappointing for... um, grandma and grandpa to know that I'm living in sin Uh, (laughs) they'd be terribly worried that I was um, well we never really discussed it but um, I think that they'd be worried that that meant I wasn't properly settling down and that I was very vulnerable Um, and I don't that doesn't sound like a peaceful afterlife to me looking down and watching Part, future generations make all the mistakes you made and some extra ones.
0: Yeah, it's bad enough going. Things aren't like they used to be.
2: Yeah. When
0: you're on Earth, if you're doing that for the rest of eternity.
2: Yes. <laughs> just just watching um, people be stupid over and over again.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does sound. I don't know. I I I'm agnostic. I don't I don't mm. believe in 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 anything, but I don't I don't not believe in it either. I think if um, I don't know if. I'd like to think if there is some kind of heaven or afterlife that things like being worried about someone living in sin, mm. that goes out the window. There's a, that you sort of suddenly, you can get rid of all these earthly prejudices about these kind of yeah. things and just see, I don't know, love or whatever.
2: I like, um, there's two fictional accounts of heaven that I really like. I like um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
0: Yeah, me too, I'm up for that
2: where she's just in a place of peace and um, not being worried about anything until she gets ripped out.
0: Back to earth, yeah. Yeah.
2: And um, the lovely Bones, where they have sort of a um, limbo where she is watching over her family for a period. But then she moves on. And she moves on to a place where she's not going to be watching over them in the same way anymore. But that's okay, and i I really like that as as an image, because I think I think it should at least be a rest, yeah, um if you've gone through all the trauma of dying, you should at least go good long nap afterwards without having to worry about the fact that you've hopefully left a yeah. family and a, a group of people who loved you missing you um. Because that's obviously what we all aim for, to have a lot of people who care about us. Yeah, we do. So I'd probably rather not have to watch them crying and and then doing whatever they do next.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, it'd be like the ultimate sort of uh, big brother as well. It would be really boring. It would just be just, you know, the re- repetitions of, they were watching everything we did it would just be so repetitious
2: yeah and and where do you stop I mean do you stop are you just doomed is Adam I, I'm not I don't believe in the literal Adam but for argument's sake is Adam watch it still watching everyone because we're all technically great, great 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 great, yeah descendants or or can you just draw a line at grandchildren and say that's enough
0: I mean my sort of instinct is I don't know if, if we if we cross over into anything it's it's something, something else that we become in a way. Mm. That, that, that if there is a soul, it's not going to be us still completely us. It's going to be something, hell of a lot more impossible to understand than that.
2: <laughs> well, I think I mean so much of us is as well connected to the physical and the circumstances we're in. You know. Mm we're hungry we're unfit or unwell or you know we fancy people we're unhappy we're, which has physical symptoms as well so the soul on its own would have to be just drastically different if we're saying it's not subject to any of those any of those factors then it would be different and it Yeah, I think it it would possibly, if you've transcended all those earthly concerns, it might be um, hard to get really worked up over your kids' travails when you're like, yeah, it'll all be fine, just chill out.
1: See you in a bit.
0: Sort of like, uh, I don't know, I I sort of feel that that's, a lot of people think that His Dark Materials is completely... atheist tract but I, yeah. I, I I sort of see see this kind of thing that we're talking about as being very much like the dust I don't know if you read his dark Materials, probably not because it's something that you well
2: my mum actually bought it for me okay Um, because quite apart from any of the philosophy behind it it's a mm, good book it's great Um, I read it a very long time ago so my yeah. memory of it isn't great but I it's interesting I always think that um, there are a lot of books that are about the dangers of bad religion that people say are anti-Christian and that might be what he meant when he wrote the book I don't know but I think that being I think there's a difference between being anti-Christian and anti-church or anti-bad church. Yeah. Um, and I. And also, I, it goes back to the philosophy thing. I'm happy to read people who disagree with me, as long as they're not, you know, trying to force it down my throat. The way many people
1: feel about. Well, that's my where fight. that's
0: where I think that, that those books actually achieve something because if I listen to Richard Dawkins going on about why people shouldn't be religious, it winds me up because he's such a fundamentalist about it. Whereas mm. if I read Philip Pullman. Although Richard Dawkins and Philip Pullman might very well agree with each other philosophically and whatever, Philip Pullman is a writer, and he's telling a story. And stories in themselves can't ever give you a complete answer. The best stories allow you to draw your own conclusions, and that's what I think his Dark Materials do. And it does. Not, I think it it does have a holiness in it, and the idea of the sort of the dust and that we are all, you know, the atoms become. The Earth and the, the the Earth, then you know, has more people on mm. it, and that we are all just particles that came out from the Big Bang, and uh, that is holiness. That is spirituality, and for me, if that's the closest I am to anything, and I, I think if if we die, then that's 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 where the the soul goes to the next to 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 everything to the kind of infinite i guess
2: there's um, a science fiction show that i love called babylon 5 and the membari have a faith that we are all part of the universe that the universe has broken itself into bits and it's trying to understand itself through people going through their individual journeys and then so when people die their soul goes into other bits of the universe to keep trying to understand it and although obviously it's a made-up religion, I like that idea. Sounds good. And I think, um, I think that a lot of things, a lot of people that I speak to um, have the sort of idea of, of being part of something larger that transcends them without necessarily being within a religious framework. And that definitely sits very well with my idea of Christianity. You know, I can see the common ground there.
0: I never thought about um, talking to you about Christianity, but as soon as you mentioned it, I realised it was a, a direction that we could have, I should go, and I have gone quite a way.
2: Excellent. Well, I mean, it's, it's a big part of who I am and how I look at the world. Although, um... I didn't go to church at Christmas because I overslept, um... And that, well, that's kind of a, that's actually kind of a big deal for me because it's the first year I haven't gone because I'm always at, at home for Christmas.
0: What you, how did you feel when you realised you'd overslept?
2: Um, guilty and a little bit like um, there's a part of my identity that I'm at risk of leaving behind. Okay. Um, because I, when I was a child, I was very much involved in the church. I. I went to a CV school, um, but when I was in the sixth form, I was involved in our Christian union at school, and it was full of some very earnest, quite rigid Christians, and they put me off slightly. Now, 17-year-old enthusiasts are quite off-putting in any... <laughs> circumstance i think um when you're i think when you're new to an idea and you're that young you get so excited about it and you become very um very rigid about what you think about it and it was very different from my way of thinking having been brought up with it and having had those sorts of conversations with my parents questioning things quite a lot that they really put me off things like which of the gifts of the Spirit have you experienced? And you sat there going... Because the Bible tells of various gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and healing with hands and things like that. And I remember saying to someone, Well, my understanding is you only get them if you need them. Um, And also I hope God knows me well enough to know that if I suddenly started speaking in another language, I'd probably just get myself checked out by a mental health professional. Yeah, that's always my feeling. I wouldn't find it helpful. It wouldn't be a thing for me. And she just went, well, maybe, you know, if you're strong in faith. (sighs) And I just remember thinking, I think I am strong in faith. And I don't think that what she was talking about sounded to me like hysteria. And whilst I do know people who've had those experiences and they sound genuine sometimes I hear about these things and I take them with a pinch of salt Mm. because um, I do believe in the gifts of the spirit but I think they're a lot more rare. (laughs) I've been to Quakers a few times with Zoe and I always go and think that that's something that I'm missing, that feeling of Spiritual connection to something um, that you do get from fellowship, from being with other people who believe. And yet, I never seem to go independently. It's it's bizarre. The um, there's a church down the road. I have saved on my iPhone their website, so I know all <laughs> their um, service think, times. Yeah. I haven't been. And we've been here nearly a year.
0: Well, go to church.
2: I should, I should. I, I do feel like it's um, part of my identity that I'm losing and I don't quite know why I haven't made it a priority. It's bizarre. And I think I either need to start actually going or admit to myself that I'm not, not going, going to. to. One or the other needs to happen quite soon.
0: That seems like an interesting place to be in. Um, I don't want to, I wouldn't, even on... <laughs> Even on, on on tape, I wouldn't want to uh, influence you either way um, on that. Um, did you go to a comprehensive school?
2: Yes. And well, it's a C of E comprehensive ah, school. Ah,
0: right. So it was... Cause I... <laughs> I don't know, maybe there was a Christian union at my school, but it just seemed strange thing to have at a school. But that's, that's...
2: Well, we were a C of E school, so it was... Um... So in theory, everyone came from a, a Christian background.
0: So you don't need a union then if you were already
2: it was very bizarre Um, there was a lot of argument about how the head had stopped um, various activities of the Christian union because and meetings at people's houses couldn't be called Christian union activities because they couldn't be seen as a school activity and the rumour was this might not be accurate, but the rumour was that there'd been some laying on of hands, and someone had got really quite upset uh, and then they'd um, obviously complained to the school, that what on earth are you doing and so the um, Christian Union liked to think of themselves as rebels <laughs> <Christian> <laughs> it's a really Union bizarre
0: at a CIV school were rebels
2: yeah You get a lot of people who are drawn to the dramatic, who are drawn to the extremes of any sort of belief or politics or whatever and they make it very hard for everyone else who believes that way for slightly calmer reasons. I have to be careful because I tend to turn into a bit of an apologist. I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those Christians. Oh, right. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in this. Or Well, I think that's a healthy
0: way in some ways to be. I think.
2: On the other hand, I think when I say I'm a Christian, but it makes it sound like I'm ashamed of it.
0: That's true, too. Um,
2: when I was a much more strongly practising Christian, I was proud of the church I was in. Um, the church my parents still attend, does a lot of work in the community, does a lot of, of things. Um, I was proud of the people I'd met there. Um... I was not so much proud of my faith, because that sounds like it's some sort of achievement, but um, I was happy and secure in my faith. But suddenly I got to university, and all the Christians I saw were these loud, flamboyant people who were doing things that I didn't want to be associated with, so I started saying I'm a Christian but."
0: Yeah. And I knew two nice people from the Christian Union... Just to make make it clear that they were a Oh, I'm
2: sure there were. That's the thing. That's the problem with any sort of um system. The the nice ones are sometimes the ones that you are the ones that aren't accosting you on the street, asking you do you believe in hell?
0: <laughs> yes. Um
2: they're they're not those ones. The problem is the people who are asking you if you believe in hell are the ones you're seeing very definitely front and centre.
0: Yeah, my my teenage uh my teenage atheist self would be ashamed to believe that I'd be defending people who are in the christian union at this age so i i i i've come a long way uh, that that surprises me um i mean christianity is all right uh, all of the religions generally they're okay uh in my view in moderation the the basic tenets of their beliefs there's something like love or... I mean, I always yeah. say that, you know, most of the Sermon on the Mount is all right. Uh, it's good, not just all right, you know, very good. And that, that, that love thy neighbour and all sorts of things like that. I can see the reason for them. Yeah. Those kinds of ways of being. But I mean, the problem with Christianity or any of the other religions comes, I think, when it influences people to not love thy neighbour. So the, the homophobia of... Pretty much all major religions. Christianity is not by any means the only one. Or...
2: I have always... Um, the way I was taught to think about my faith was um, in the most simplistic way, God is love. And the way that I feel when I pray is is a feeling of being connected with something benevolent. Um, I have always found it very difficult to appreciate the um more judgmental aspects of religious life and i've had um christians and non-christians tell me if you don't believe in the literal truth of the bible you can't be a christian um and then i've had other the same non-christians tell me but there are lots of contradictions in the bible and i i do feel that people need to remember that it wasn't like God sent a dictation machine down and someone wrote it down as a whole book and there it was and and nothing happened it's something like 39 books Mm. written over the course of 3000 years yeah a lot of time Yeah. Um,
0: but weren't the tablets the dictation machine that were sent down
2: um, that
0: Moses found and some of them are a bit problematic
2: there's a lot of rules in the bible and a lot of them are said to come from the period where um, the Jewish people were uh, wandering the desert. Yeah, and so a lot of them make sense for people wandering, wandering in the, the desert. Way, yeah, so things like um, don't eat uh, cloven hooved animals because they're not very hygienic in a, a desert environment. So let's not eat
0: no, them. No, I mean that that's fair enough. And
2: even to a certain extent, things like homophobia in in those rules. Because you need your young men to be off creating more healthy young men. And okay.
0: If,
2: so I I kind of feel like.
0: What about living in sin?
2: Um, which you're
0: doing, and I they am. weren't allowed to.
2: I think that had I been born even. Had I been born even 30 years earlier, I probably wouldn't have agreed to live in sin. Okay. I think it's very much. With a heathen? With a heathen. Yeah. That was a surprise to me. <laughs> 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 that that um, as a 16-year-old, as a that the fact that um, I'm living in sin, haven't decided if, let alone when, we're having children, um, I'm living with someone who isn't particularly religious, that is not what I would have anticipated. But life's what happens when you're making other plans. And I, I now... I've certainly never met anyone else I would have considered living with.
0: Still, I don't see it as it gives you any advantage necessarily to not live in sin
2: if you're crossing in the desert. Most people wouldn't um, consider that murdering your daughter if she doesn't follow the rules of the house is a correct... But in... I forget which book, Leviticus perhaps, that's a completely acceptable course of action. Um, Selling your daughter into slavery, killing her, it's all... But none of these people who argue about the literal truth of the Bible um, are saying that we should do that. I like to try and um, respect everyone's religious beliefs, but I find that really problematic. Um, but then, I believe on a man who got nailed to a bit of wood and then died and came back three days later. So... That in its own way is completely illogical, and I don't know. If,
0: I don't know if logic matters. I think the people who think it matters completely that it is the only answer are probably um, very good at making decisions. Uh, yes, but not necessarily the right ones.
2: It, it's interesting because actually. Um, the uh, whole living in sin thing it's a completely for faith. And I called my parents to let them know that I was going to do this thing. And I was like, well, Mum, oh, Dad, Luke and I have been talking and um, I'm not sure I want to live in the shed house anymore and it makes sense. And my dad just said, Elizabeth, it sounds like you're apologising. What are you apologising for? I was like, well, because we'll be living together and and we won't be getting married. And my dad was just, oh, well, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I was like, good, because I was going to do it anyway. He was like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) It was this whole um, thing where I was expecting my parents to have... ...a very different attitude to the one that it turned out that they had.
0: Oh, it's like this heterosexual version of coming out or something.
2: <laughs> oh, it was... Um, we we don't do this in our family. To be honest, I think if I had kids, I would want to be married. Because I feel like... Um, ...having that structure... ...is... ...and making that decision. You know, you've made a decision... To be married and it's going to be you know complicated to get out of so you've got that framework that not doesn't necessarily keep you together but at least says that at one point you intended to yeah yeah um
0: i think legally speaking there are some reasons for marriage as well as the kind of religious ones or whatever that, that there are some there are there are some reasons to have a socially binding contract
1: yeah
0: for child I'm one of these people who believes that that um well ultimately i don't think it matters. it wouldn't matter if we didn't have the world we have, but as we have the world we have it's better to have a socially binding contract mm-hmm. but i'd like um I'd like heterosexuals to be able to have a civil partnership i mean i'd
2: like gay people to be able to get married yeah,
0: that's the subversive <laughs> way of putting it saying the same thing i I'm sort of saying yeah. we should both be allowed to get married, definitely. Mm. And we should both be allowed to have a civil partnership. Well, see, I the think...
2: thing with the civil partnership is, um, although I absolutely agree that it's a brilliant thing, is that it's all the rights and responsibilities of marriage without calling it marriage, which kind of feels like something's being withheld.
0: Yeah, but then if you don't call it marriage, then what you can say is... I love this person and I want to be responsible uh, for them and for any children that come up. But I do not recognise the institution of marriage of, as having a history that is worthy or uh, gen, gen, split correctly in terms of gender equality and homo, hom, homosexuals being allowed to, and all these things. And saying, let's create a, uh, and and also it's it's explicitly saying this connection is nothing to do with religion. Which mm. is important to some people to do.
2: I once really offended a friend of mine because someone we knew had got engaged, and we were talking because we're girls in a very traditional sense of being girls about how we'd get married. But I was saying if the person I was with wasn't religious, I wouldn't get, want to get married in church because I'd feel like that was hypocritical. Yeah. You have to make promises in front of God, yeah, and. You don't want anything that's said on your wedding day to be a lie. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) You want what you're saying to be honest. So, um, and I was saying, well, there's there's far too many people who just get married in a church because they want the pretty white dress and the steeple and confetti and everything. Whereas that's actually almost insulting to the religious nature of the building and the ceremony. Because you're play acting. Hmm. It's like um, when people come to church to... When we used to go to church, we'd... Um, Dad wouldn't wear a suit because he said he wore a suit all week. He didn't see why wearing one to church would make any difference to God whatsoever. And, um, but you'd always see like a, a line of young adults at the back waiting in suits and very smart um waiting for bands to be read or um their child to be christened i think it's important if you're going to engage with a to, in a church to engage with all of it to mean it and but i offended this friend because she was saying well my sister got married in the church and she's not religious at all there's nothing wrong with it and i was just looking at her going okay good for (laughs) your sister Um, I still think what I think, sorry.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one. Uh, not offending people and believing in things. I mean, at the end of the day, all of us probably nearly, I mean, even, even not believing is a belief. We're always going to offend some people sometime,
2: Mm.
0: but hopefully this won't offend you to, to say, but, uh, this is the, around about the end of the interview. And the question I'm asking everybody is, do you have anything that you want to plug
2: there's definitely things I wish people would do more of. I guess um, the thing I suppose I, I would always try and plug on people is that, that's so funny, um, if you believe in something like, um, I don't know, something political or a charity or something like that, you need to actually do something about it. Otherwise... Nothing happens, and it, it goes back to um, my work as a social worker, because obviously a lot of people have a lot of news about what's happening in social care at the moment. because no one does anything about it. Whatever you dislike is going to keep happening. Um, and obviously, what we been discussing about religion. If I don't actually get up on my backside and go to church, I'm not a Christian anymore. So that's well but not in the same way that's an incredibly
0: disorganised thought to leave you with well that's, a, that's a, it's an interesting thought to leave mm. us. don't leave them uh, end this conversation with so uh, yeah so it's been a pleasure getting uh, acquainted with you and um, so should we say goodbye goodbye yes thank you very
2: much
0: thank you you can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA podcast uh, you can find it on Facebook It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.